Today on our show, we're counting down. Can you believe it? After a year of doing whatever topic we wanted to, I've managed to convince Wayne we're going to do the top 10 books that shaped our lives. Yeah. Hit it, Polly. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Countdown Podcast. This is episode 448. My name is Wayne. And my name is Paul. Welcome to the show. We count down stuff in order of awesomeness so you don't have to. And today's stuff is different. We've never done this before on the show. Books. Yes. I, as you may well know, Paul is much more <laughs> of a literate man than me. He reads books. He even writes. And, um, Used to. Doesn't write so much anymore. Something of a writer, shall we say. Um, whereas I simply well, I jerk off. So <laughs> it's... <laughs> That's the thing I do. But top ten times <laughs> Wayne shot his nut. We shot our nuts coming soon to a cat down to you. No, it's not. It's not. That um, would be ridiculous. Wayne, but, but, that would be okay, ridiculous. Okay, so no. All right, fair enough. But you know what interests me? You kids out there that are listening right here. How many of you are literate, uh, you know, book readers? I'm pretty sure they're all literate. Sorry. How when I say literate. Read regularly. Enthusiastically reading, yes. shall we say. At least some of you, but probably all of you. Let's face it. I mean, if you if you like movies and the show that we do, you probably don't mind other mediums of entertainment. Well, it's interesting because it's only so many hours in your day, right? right. So you've got a book you, is a commitment. You've got your work, and you've got the podcast, and you've got to deal with your love life, Wayne. <laughs> and I've got a family, and, and I coach netball, and so there's only you got to watch the stuff for the show as well because we do still do the movie reviews. So it's like, what do you got left? And I did make a conscious decision some six years ago, about two years in the podcast. I can't keep reading the amount I'm reading and do the show. Yeah. So I dropped so right give. away. I probably only read three or four books a year now. Whereas mm-hmm. at its height, I was reading a couple of hundred books a year. Some the of them fuck? Were, some of them were... What? Like, a couple hundred books a year? Yeah. Some of them were graphic novels. Yeah. What the fuck? Even then, I read three or four books so a week. Some, 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 some of them were novellas. Some there's of them, days that you just read one book in a day. Yeah, so I was very active on Goodreads at the, around the time 2013 to about 2016 at the dawn of the show, and I was a reviewer and I was you know paid in books to read them, and authors would send me their books, and I would even all that so. Stuff. Did you speed read? Books don't take a day to finish. Yeah, they would. Eight, I mean. eight hours worth, yeah. maybe. No, not the thousand page tomes of fantasy novels. I'm talking more the 200, 250 page, 300 page. Kind of horrible. Very fast reading. Else. I'm so, very impressed. I think I've done two or three hundred. Not even in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke I went with in the Facebook community, where the, where the link went up to give their feedback. The good listeners of the show on this particular topic, and they suggest that you now you've seen read ten books, you had ten that you could choose from. Well, you know, on this list, I know that was a gag, but here's the thing, right? Though I don't read the tomes you do, or the no, again, that was a while ago. I'm saying I'm right in your wheelhouse now. I, I read very little, so all my stuff, bar one. Goes back to 2015 and earlier in my life. Well, when making this list, I thought, how am I even going to come up with 10? But then I just looked on my bookshelf. Exactly. And I was like, I actually read, I actually wouldn't say I'm a prolific reader, but the things that I read are typically nonfiction. That's fine. I'm a self-help bitch. To be really clear here, we did not specify. It's books. It can be graphic novels. It can be fictional novels. It can be textbooks. It can be nonfiction slash self-help books, if you prefer. Absolutely. And uh, spoilers, everyone. There's no Batman graphic novels on my list. I am stunned. I know. Because you'd think I'd throw The Dark Knight Returns in there, but I didn't. So, you know, there you are. Um, Uh, Well, without any further ado, Wayne, I think we've both introduced this particularly well in the sense of I read a lot, probably more to choose from, but to your surprise, you've read more than you thought. Much more. So there we are. That's going to be on the other side of this. 
segment which kicks off most every show. It's called The Recount. Who wants a recount? Who? 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 Who wants a recount? Who? 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 Who wants a recount? The Recount is our mailroom, Paul. Well, it all pertains to the episode 446, the top 10 list of films you've probably never seen. Uh, and this was one of the all-time classic <laughs> votes, Wayne. This one, I came out of the box fast, you caught me up, I pulled away, you caught up again. Really? I'll read some of the comments before I, I give the result. Go on. Joey DiCarlo from the So Is It podcast said, Paul had a Zoomy auto win. Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Troy's been the man who puts up our lists whenever he can. Thank you my so man, much, Troy. My man, my man. Said, Azumi is a great pull. Another vote for Paul. There so, you go. Hooray. Then Chris Uni said, I've seen five of Wayne's and agree they are great and underviewed, especially thank you for smoking. Mm. And have only seen two of Paul's with Small Town Crime being the highest rated I've seen between both lists. As such, listeners win the poll for having a great selection of cinema to check out. So he abstained okay. from voting. Rob Walter said, Wayne had lucky number 11 and thank you for smoking, which are two movies I really enjoy. Paul may have hit the brief harder with movies I haven't heard of, but I couldn't vote for that somehow. Okay. So this is one of those ones that was very tricky. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think, totally. Drew Hallam said, Paul for the win, not only for a handful of fun and slow horror, horror flicks, but we also have some thrillers and dramas. And Drew, of course, from the Real Feels podcast. Thank you, Drew. Hey, D. Josh Ragland, patient of the show, said, Abstain this week as I've surprisingly not seen enough of these underviewed gems, but I have added several movies to my letterbox watch list. And that's the whole point. That was exactly the whole particular point. And then I'll give the last word here to Ben Burnham who said, yep, rather difficult to pick a winner on this topic. Should should it be Paul because I've seen a few of his picks or Wayne because I can actually comment on a few more of them or should I just abstain? Eh, we'll go with Wayne for a bit of a change. The final vote, Wayne, 23 votes to me, 22 votes to you. <laughs> what a... There you go. Close horse. Close one. Uh, thank you to everyone who voted. And Thanks, guys. Yeah, 45 votes. That's, that's nice. Not bad. Picking back up again after our little uh, abstinent sort of period where we didn't yeah, call for votes. So a lot of people just get involved. Facebook, this community, there's a whole bunch of you in there and then check it out per week to see the votes going back up there, usually on a Thursday night, Australian Western Standard Time. So thank you to everyone who did so this week and indeed in previous weeks. Most as Well, all right. Without any further ado, Wayne, I think we just get into it. Sure. No need to have more music and try and find another book-related song. Mm, Yeah. No, this is your wheelhouse, so I think I should start. All right, go for it. Wayne, what is your number 10? All right. So, everyone, there's this uh, book that I came across in the sort of early aughts, around 2005, and I should mention, it is definitely a, I guess, a documentary-type book. It's not a fiction book. And I should also mention that I agree with nothing that this book says. However, the idea behind the book was very interesting. It's, it's by an author named Neil Strauss, who's very, it's quite a popular author. And oh, I know what you're It's called say. The Game. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now, the actual full title of the book is called The Game, Penetrating the Secret Society of Pickup Artists, or PUAs. And the premise of the book is that apparently, and this is what kind of got me going, this can't be real. Hidden somewhere in nearly every major city in the world is an underground kind of movement of pickup artists where these men trade the supposedly most effective techniques ever invented to charm women. Apparently... As in, like, what, they get to go, like, fight club? Kind of, and there's an online forum and this sort of thing. And what happened is the author, Neil Strauss, who's who actually came across this, he actually found these chats and went, what the hell, who are you people? And he basically started knowing them. They live together in houses known as The Projects. Well, the projects is known for other things usually. Not the project. They projects. They call. They just call. We we got a project in like Delaware. We got a project. What? In, this is what the book says, right? And Neil Strauss. So he's the author. He goes. I'm gonna. They think there's a book here. He spends 
two years living among them in various different, I guess, chapters or projects or whatever you want to call wow. it. Wow. Right? And he has this, he wrote this book called The Game Penetrating the Secret of the And basically, he's outlining what they say. Now, I went bollocks, bollocks, bollocks. Though I should mention, Paul, there is a man who sometimes listens to this show. You and I know him. We're not going to mention him by name. We do? All right. Yeah. He actually read the book and employed some of the strategies to what I seem to kind of uh, view as relatively successful effect. Okay. Shout out to you, Cousin Ash. Congratulations. It's on not Ash. It's not <laughs> Ash. <laughs> I know it's not Ash. That was a joke. But it is and someone also, well but, uh, Very serious. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to Ash on a, on a wonderful Absolutely. What engagement Ash? recently. And, and, and to friend. the cousin of another listener show, Ali. So, uh, you know, the family's meshing. That's right. Ash and Ali about to be related right forever all over the place <laughs> uh so yes yeah, so but back this so anyway the book here actually talks about the techniques of doing that it is bullshit except that one guy who we saw make it work although i don't know if he did it for quite the way the book says the book says things about this is where i don't know if you ever heard of this before but but there are people like called the red pill community or something there are a bunch what? of yeah there are a bunch of guys who actually kind of they say that they're, oh, we're about getting women and this and that, but they're kind of misogynistic in the way they do it, which is completely not how I do or even agree with this sort of thing. They are the guys who invented negs. Have you heard of negs, Paul? I do know of negs. The idea is that you give a woman a backhanded compliment and it forces her to defend herself, i.e. then she's interacting with you. <laughs> like, your, your, your face would be nice if your hair wasn't so messed up. Shit like that, right? It's only a dickhead would do this, yes. right? In and fact, in fact, I have a better screen. Please. You're a cunt. Yes. You're Absolutely. a cunt. Not you. You've always been No, a no, cunt. these people are indeed and cunts. And the only thing that's um, going to change is you're going to become an even bigger It's cunt. crap. So, the, and also, one of the other techniques was if you approach a group of people where there's a hot girl in there, you talk to everyone but the hot girl, thereby making her vie for your attention. Which is also bullshit, okay? <laughs> now. No, I think you've been the victim of this way, not you personally. Yes! Now, this is what I wanted to tell you guys. Not only do I think that's crap, but it was an interesting read, right? Although I didn't agree with any of it. There's even a guy, the lead guy's name is Mystery. He's been on TV shows before. Yes, he he's been on the, the show called The Pickup Artist. There you which go. Which I watched the first season of. I believe there's two seasons of that show. How was it? Very entertaining. Basically taking a, a group of no-hoper men who've, who can't pick up and have had bugger all success with women. And he's trying to turn them into being the ultimate pickup artist who's going to, I guess, live in one of these projects or chapters if they're not with him, but around That's his... right. Cotier or whatever. Exactly. So I believe it's the spectacle that yeah. makes it interesting. There was around read. this time as well, which was yes. the time when I became sort of single and was. So I did. I didn't read this book, but I did watch the Pick Up Artist and was like amazed at how that shit played out. Yeah, I mean it's TV, so it's probably all fake, but whatever, right? So this is what. Um, now, one time I was in a group. I, I have a group of people that I hang out with, and it involves single, attractive women as well as a couple dudes or whatever. We were in a bar one time, and some cracker just walks up. He approaches one of the Carol. I'll say it. Carol at the bar. And says, how long have you been with that guy pointing at me? She goes, I'm not with him. Oh, okay, cool. She comes back down. He rolls back over and <laughs> says, hey, how's it going, guys? Blah, 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 right? And starts doing things and starts to talk to all of us except Carol. And I'm looking at it. And I didn't realize it at the time. Play by play. He was playing the game, right? And he just he goes, oh, let me just join you. He sits down, right? And it just makes the group completely uncomfortable. Uh, and literally after about one minute, I just go, hey. And he looks at me and he goes, did I make things weird? And I said, you really did. And we didn't invite you to stay over. Because I started getting mad now. I said, Fair I don't enough. recall anyone asking you to sit down. I think you should leave. I just did this. And everyone just shut up. And everyone's like, and he you goes, are a sad, strange little was. man. And he was my Again, a not big you, guy. No, guy. No, no, this guy. And I was like, he goes, oh, well, uh, I'll just leave you too then, right? And he stands up, <laughs> doesn't leave immediately, takes a sip of his beer, then fucks off. And I was like, this guy's running game on us. So everyone, if you read this book, view it as an amusement, a writing exercise. It's a it's bullshit, and anyone who tries it is a fuckwit. 
But it's an amusing read. So did it change your life? It did because it made me hate these people. Yeah, right. Realize right? this is not the way I can go about it. I wouldn't ever do it that way anyway. It's interesting to find techniques about things, but this is clearly bullshit and it would not work in this country in particular. Because no one walks into a group and says, hey, what's your top five your mother snatch? Whatever, right? It's just time <laughs> no, that's what, no one would. No, and that's what the kind of shit it tells you to do. So I'm like, okay, this is crap. Anyway, there you go. The game. Number I, 10. Yeah, I do recall long ago with a friend of yours and, and a listener of the show, we did walk over and try a whole thing where it was like, you know. Oh, Scott. Scott, yeah. One of the group members. Yes. Who is now gay. Yeah, yes. So and he, <laughs> he was, he was uh, you know, he had stubble. I didn't. And we were basically like, all right, who's going to win? I remember that night. It was thing. in Five Bar. And, and it actually Wally. worked and they did engage and the like. But yeah. So here's the thing. Maybe it's about the man and not the technique. Yeah. I don't know. But clearly... Not that, like, not that we went home with any of them. Not no, no, it's a germ of truth. It was just it more. It was of, just we engaged. We had a discussion. They, I think, I don't know. We'd have to talk to the group. I women. remember the night, and I remember the girls, and they would have. T- they, I believe, they would have engaged more heavily with you had you pursued it, because yeah, well, you, was, in fact, engaged. You yeah, said I bothered you enough, and you walked out. Yeah, classy move, Paulie. Yeah, we didn't stay for it. It was just to, to try it out to see if that would actually and work. It worked. So, so hey, yeah. who knows, right? All right, my number ten by. Stark contrast is nowhere near as impressive nor as personal, nor will generate as much discussion. But I have to be honest, like this, I read this book when I was 11 years old. My, my. It's a novelization of a movie. Yeah, I love those. I love those by Alan Dean Foster. And I read this entire book when I was in, start of year seven, in less than 24 hours and was utterly hooked on every word. I remember reading it in class when. Mr. Parker, my year seven teacher, wasn't looking. Mm, and then I took wow. it home and I read it the whole night as late as I could before I was told to go to bed and picked it up next morning and read it the whole morning until I finished it. That's cool. It's the novelization of Aliens. Oh. So oh. I read this entire book and knew everything before I saw what oh, so you become, hadn't seen the film. What would become my second favorite film of all time. Good Lord. And so you read the novelization before the movie. Chafing at the bit. This helped solidify my love of sci-fi. This this book. I was so enraptured, so caught up in this world and what this alien was and these these poor soldiers that are going to fight them with this one outstanding woman leading them from the front who experienced and I didn't I don't think I'd even seen alien at that point in time. I think I was allowed to watch it. So I was Was it nineteen eighty seven? 86, early 86, late 87. Okay. Sorry, so sorry, late 86, early 87, I read this book. Of course. Back then, you couldn't just dial up a movie and watch it. No, so it had been out, and it probably wasn't out yet on video, though, because remember when it used to take nine to 12 months yes. for a video to appear after the cinemas here in Australia in particular? Well, that's exactly what took place here. And when it did come out, I was like basically badgering my parents day and night, like, is aliens out yet? Is aliens out yet? Aliens is out. Aliens is out. Can we get it? Can we get it? Can we get it? And I got to watch it. And yeah, so. It just enshrines slash ensconced within me this love of sci-fi and to a degree horror. Can I ask you something? When I was a youngster, not around, around that age, in fact, I read movie tie-in after movie tie-in. That's go. what they used to be called, right? I read The War of the Roses, yep. Batman, all my favorite movies, and I wanted to consume the novelization of it because the novelization was often written from the script, script of the which movie. Which had more shit in it. Which yep. had more shit in yep. it. So there were scenes and in the novel that were in the movie. Honestly, I can't remember. Maybe no. it was a special edition. You know what I mean? But you know what? This this, this idea that I'm looking... This is why I believe I like acoustic covers because I want to see your version of the thing I already love. And that's why I kept on reading these novelizations because I wanted to see more information about the movie. What is it? Something else. And I believe that's why we review movies. We want the scoop, Paul. We want the inside story. We want the d- we want the deeper than the thing that we saw. We want to talk about it. Hmm. So that's just something I agree. Those types of things definitely uh, can change Thank one's you. life. Nice one. Nice one. My number nine is a book that was given to me by your ex girlfriend, Paul. Mm, okay. Now here's what happened. Everyone in my halcyon youth, I was from time to time known to hit nightclubs and occasionally partake in the odd chemical substance. It happened every now and then. Not a lot. Sure. Um, but it happened. 
And I haven't taken it much chiefly because something known as a come down, which occurs in the following days. So I was idly mentioning to your girlfriend at the time how horrible that Tuesday after the weekend was where you're coming down and you feel like shit and you're like kind of snapping at people and blah, blah, blah. And she said, you've been doing it rough, my friend. And for my birthday that year, she gave me a come down kit, which had the following things in it. <laughs> it had a few still knock sleeping tablets. Right. Yeah. Uh, it had chamomile tea and electrolytes. Yeah. And it had this book called Marching Powder. I've never heard of this book. Okay, so this book, she said... She well, said I'm sure he told me at the time, but yeah. Yeah, she said this book, it's a 2003 non-fiction book written by an Australian author called Rusty Young, and it's based on the true... <laughs> of course he's Rusty, of course he's Australian, exactly. he's Rusty. Oh, he might be also Bluey. Um, and so <laughs> it's, based, it's based on a true story of this British Tanzanian man, um, Thomas McFadden, who was apprehended in 96 in Bolivia with five kilos of cocaine in his suitcase. Whoops. Yeah. Now... He gets incarcerated in San Pedro Prison, South America, and the book is basically an expose of the inside of the prison. This is a real story, and people go here for, on holiday. They actually, tourists, go into that prison. Looking forward to hearing how this impacts on your life, but okay. No, here's what it is. The reason that it impacted on my life is that this was the first time I read a book where I understood that people read for pleasure. See, most of the time, I read to try and find shit out, like okay. movie times. For information. Or but I just sat there while on a come down, right? And I just consumed the book from almost cover to cover, right? And first of all, the book itself is amazing because of the fact that it does show you that these prisons actually operate like a fucking city. You can actually move from sites of the prison to other places as you become more and more rich from all the cocaine that they make in the prisons. Right. right? So it's, a, it's really, really enthralling. And I actually, anytime someone says, I need someone to read, I just throw this at them. Like, Have you seen this? And apparently it's quite popular among people who read. <laughs> but um, for no, people like me... Really not me. No, um, it was really good. So, But like the thing is, again, I think this goes to... It was the very first thing where I ever read it just for the pleasure and couldn't okay. put it down. I thought you were going to say, and I realized at that point in time I didn't want to wind up in prison, so I decided to curb that particular part of my life. Well, yeah. I've only tried cocaine once, and it was not good for me because I don't think it was very yeah. good. So um, in that way, perhaps, okay. but yeah, no, there you that, are. This is that equally legitimate what you just Those described. Those days behind me, by the way, people. So I'm called again? To work for this shit. It's called marching powder, marching as in Bolivian powder. marching powder. Gotcha. All right, nice. My number nine is something that did impact directly on me. So in 2013, our daughter was born and within a month I realized that the way I was, like every new parent does, the way I had been living my life was no longer going to work. And, and you try and prepare. We didn't have long to prepare. That's a different story for a Three different time. Three whole months, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it was quite the story. But tell that one day. Basically, I realized I couldn't just put on something to watch and sit there and watch it. It would be interrupted time and again by either baby's demands or baby waking up Guess or right, yeah. partner saying, can you do this for the baby and all perfectly legitimate. So I switched and went, okay, well, I find it much easier to put a book down than I do to switch off something of that I'm watching. So I started to read again much more. Like I, Not that I I'd stopped reading that point in time in my life, I was, but I decided I, I will put my time into this rather than things. And we would still watch something with dinner and it would take us however long to watch a season of Scrubs, which is, we were just watching really containable things mm. at that point in time mm. in 2013. So one of the first novels I picked up was this novel by Joe Hill. Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. Yeah. It's called Nosferatu. Okay. N-O-S-4-A-2. It's a registration. Okay. And I devoured this book very, very quickly. And as I was alluding to earlier, yeah. then I posted, I joined Goodreads and I posted my review up there. And it might have got two or three likes, but it was enough for me to go, oh, all right, well, I'll just review everything that I read and stick it on this thing like I do now with films on Letterboxd. Yeah. 
and so within the year, uh, that's where within one year I'd written and read so much and written so many reviews that I was getting sent novels from authors saying, "Would you review this?" I, didn't, I think I knew that, but I forgot. Yeah, and that's... I was I got picked up to write for a a book review site. Irma Gerd. And yeah, so made a little bit of a very small, very small. I'm not talking like Stephen King sent me his novels or, you know, but I'm talking about indie publishers or very genre press publishers, primarily horror, sometimes sci-fi, sometimes fantasy. We're sending him saying, hey, do you want to read this one for me? And you know, made a few contacts through that time. And it all came down to that moment in my life and having to pivot on the back of this particular book, which was absolutely fantastic. They made two season TV series about in 2020 starring I'm Zachary sure Quinto. Yeah, yeah. It's basically a horror novel about a, a woman trying to save her son from a vicious supernatural killer. It's very kingy with this whole different world and inexplicable magic like The Shining type stuff. And in fact, there's allusions to maybe what she's got is The Shining because oh, he's kind of riffing on his, his dad, dad's, yeah, dad's yeah, world. Yeah. But it's quite, it's beautifully paced. It's really horrifying in places. It's creepy and it's really, really effective and so well written for what I believe at the time was only his second novel, maybe his third so yeah, Nosferatu is excellent and that's why it is such an important part of my life. Very impressive. Isn't it cool when a development in your life leads to your realization of something that is important to you and then it actually like you're connecting now with like-minded folks purely out of need, necessity because you started yeah. doing something and that's a little bit like this show. Well, there was a second thing that happened at that point in time in my life which was I started listening to podcasts which I could have my yeah. headphones in whilst I was nursing baby or, or, you know, burping baby or trying to soothe baby to sleep and all the rest of that stuff. And that's where this show eventually got born from. So, yeah, two things simultaneously, one on topic, the other one a little bit off topic. Nice. All right. There you go. Very nice. Okay. My number eight is a book that it's personal to me because it allowed me to define my definition of freedom. This sounds really weird. It sounds really big. Okay. But yep. I remember this conversation I was having with an old girlfriend where I was telling her that I was listening to the song Take It Easy by the Eagles mm -hmm. because it came on the radio and I started learning to play it on the guitar and it occurred to me that this entire song literally sounds like freedom to me because it's all about, you know, it's about traveling for no reason and reveling in the feeling of having no responsibilities okay. and yeah. those types of things. And she said to me, even though I wouldn't call myself an avid traveler, she's, we were talking about the idea and the sheer joy of feeling and what freedom is to everyone. And she recommended I read an American classic based on these types of feelings. It's called On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Mm -hmm. And it's a 1957 novel. And it's you about, win, that's older than anything on my list. Oh, yeah. It's, I, I, it was actually, I was a bit apprehensive about it because I'm like, what do I have in common with the guy who's like this age or whatever? He's known for his... This this novel, have you heard of the Beat Generation? It's about the sixties, kind of like yep. early, and that was like it's about the protagonists in in the in the novel. They're post war. They have they live against a backdrop of jazz and poetry and drug use, and they literally the whole novel is about them traveling across the country with nothing. And something about it really spoke to me. Yeah, okay. And it's I've not actually felt the same way about traveling since. Because I'll As in it lessened it or, or, or improved it for you? Improved it because soon after that, oh no, actually, no, I had done, I'd done some big travels by then, but like my whole idea and sort of like my, my attitude towards traveling now was just let it happen. Because I previously wanted to plan everything and if it fell outside that plan, I actually got depressed or I was like, shit, I'm missing out on this or that didn't work out. Or I didn't. Okay. But yep. now it's like more, okay, why don't you just react to the city you're in? You walk in and you're like, oh, this city is weird. I don't know what happened. That's dangerous over there. You know, like you're actually now becoming this guy because you 
are a traveler. And I always thought I was a shit traveler before that. But after this, I became a better traveler. Not the best, okay. but a better. So, yeah. Fair enough. On the road, Jack Kerouac. Interesting novel. Nice choice. Uh, very left field. I wasn't expecting that one. Big time. My number eight, it does relate to my profession and full disclosure was actually written by a good friend of mine. So this is... That's cool. There's some skin in this particular game. So this person who wrote this was my supervisor for a number of my formative years as a psychologist. And as years went by, we became friends. And and then um, I think I'm okay to say this, but close friends over time. I went to his wedding in in on Jersey Island and I ran the Paris Marathon with him. So this I think that's pretty close. By one. Dr. Bill Saunders uh, from 2021. It's called What Happened? What Mental Health is Really About. All right. So, what are we taking from this book? He's an older psychologist who's done very well for himself over the years, and he retired at the end of 2019. And then in 2020, he was so bored by COVID that he resumed working again part time, and he continues to do so to this particular day. You know, he never he doesn't listen to the show. You know, he doesn't listen to podcasts. He doesn't do a podcast about movies and whatever, even if it is by a mate. So I can say this and not have to worry about him hearing it. But he's absolutely, without doubt, the most influential psychologist in my life who shaped how I practice. Huge. Yeah. So. When he wrote a book, which is basically about shitting on psychiatry. It's basically saying that really? psychotropic medication is a fucking joke. Really? And there's no evidence across the board to say, that's not released by a pharma, uh, a pharma company, to say that they actually do what they purport to do on the tin. Can you tell me, psychotropic drug is a, an example Antidepressant. of being... Antidepressant. Antidepressant. Now, antipsychotic might be the exception, but for depression and anxiety, Prozac and so they on. do not work. So they don't actually alleviate your anxiety? Well, he argues that they're, they're effectively treating the wrong thing because the whole model is what's wrong with you? Here are the things that I'm experiencing I don't want to happen mm. and I want to stop them. And so the psychiatrist prescribes you a drug. Yet the interrater reliability of diagnoses among psychiatrists is exceptionally poor and psychologists for that matter. This is not having a go at psychiatry mm. at that level. So we're not very good... If you present with the same symptoms to three different professionals, the chances are you get three different diagnoses. Yeah. Therefore, how can you prescribe a pill? Even if the pill does what it says it does, which there's not a lot of evidence to say that it does. Mm. What works is the placebo effect. I'm taking something that I think is going to make a difference and then it tends to do so. So is the contention of the book then that the drug itself may or may not work but be superfluous? Is there an actual answer that would actually more the readily? The purpose of the book is don't worry so much about pills and what's wrong with you, but what happened to you? Yeah. What went wrong in your life? What trauma did you experience or did you survive that has shaped you into the person that you are now? Now, I know I've recommended this book to some personal friends of ours, mm. Wayne, who have read it, and they found it to be a transformative experience. But what it did was solidify some of the way that I was working and indeed change some of the ways I was working. Because when it gets too hard, when it gets too difficult, what you're trained to do as a psychologist is basically handball off to a psychiatrist. Mm. You now need to get medication because it's too big for... What like we're trying to do here, yep. to do one session, particularly where I work now, or sometimes I can't see people for more than once a month. Yeah, There's too much going on here. We now need to, to bring in a second wave of support, if you will. But the book itself sounds maybe sounds really boring and dry, like some of these sort of textbooky, non-fiction-y psychiatry. No, it's not. He really illustrates it with lots of examples and anecdotes, some of which I found absolutely unbelievable. And yeah. I challenged him on it. I said, look, is this that bit true and is that bit true? He goes, absolutely. Yes, 100%. That happened. So he's either sticking by his word and, you know, just take, take it to his grave or he is, it was absolutely truthful what happened. And if it is, that's incredible what he describes in the book. So yeah. there you go. I've met Bill a couple of times and it would not surprise me that he can write well. Gift of the gab. Yeah. Interestingly, 
I was once I, I got Tourette's and I was once prescribed Prozac for treatment of it mm-hmm. and was told that yeah here's the thing about antidepressants people kind of use them to treat everything which would seem to like you know yeah well who knows if they work or not for what or not I imagine a chemical imbalance is somewhat different to a psychological trauma but who knows just about every psychiatric drug has been found to work serendipitously okay so it's just try they're it not, see if it they're happens. not De- deliberately developed to be an antidepressant. Turns out they would develop something else and the side effect was, hey, this is actually making people feel better. Mm-hmm. Why don't we do it this with it and make it as this? Now let's test it out as an antidepressant. So yeah. most of them, not all of them, most of them. So interesting. Nice one, nice one. Well, from that very profound experience to my number seven. It's going to be the longest episode of the world, this one. <laughs> yeah, we'll go, we'll go, I'll go fast. No, 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 um, it needs well, just as bad. So there's a book that I heard about early aughts um, and it was hailed as the greatest comic of all time. Right? That's what that's what a lot of people said. I wonder if I've got it right. It's called Jimmy Corrigan. No, I don't. The smartest <laughs> kid on earth. Okay. Now I know. Listen, I actually went, this is a bit of a story on this one, but I went to New York around that time and I visited a very famous comic shop called Midtown Comics and I went in there and I was looking around and I was like, ooh, right? Clearly not Kevin Smith's one then. No, his is in Jersey. Yep. Brianna Petty lives right near it. Okay. Um, shout out to Brianna. Shout out to Brianna. Uh, I actually asked for this comic and the guy goes, yep, absolutely, we got it. It's one of the best comics ever. He pulls it out. It's a graphic novel. It's fat, right? And it's a weird sort of, it's a rectangular shape, but an odd rectangular shape. You're supposed to read it on a landscape kind of like the way it works. Okay. Now, this is a really unusual fucking thing. It is actually kind of depressing. It's about a dude who's like uh, an awkward and cheerless character and it's it's a very long life story. But the weird thing about it is the author actually says, when you read these panels in each page, don't try and find where the next panel is to read it. Just look at the page what? on purple and kind of, yeah, kind of feel your way around the page and kind of take... I said, I'm out. I know. This would really bug you and it sort of bugged me too. And I'll say this. It's not easy to read, but it is amazing because the immaculate design of his page is sometimes lots of little grids or other bits of like... Or sometimes it's one big photo. Sometimes it's another... You know, and you actually... It's actually disorienting you. As you go through it, and what you're doing is a little bit, and this is going to really kill you, it's a little bit like a Harmony Corinne movie where, oh, fuck off. I know, where, <laughs> where you are actually eliciting a feeling as a result of reading this thing. How would thing. you like to I know, I know. But this is what, the reason it got me is, one, I think the fact that I happened to be traveling and discovering the world for the first time, and then I got this, and I was sitting there reading it in Central Park like a weirdo, right? Oh, and, yeah, but um, it showed me that you can be unconventional in your art and still have it work. Like, why would they call this the best graphic novel of all time? I thought you were going to Watchmen. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Watchmen is great, but, and, but what, uh, it's a whole different story with Watchmen. Mm. But if you ever get hold of this book, okay? It will tell you who you are by whether you like it or not. It tells you how accepting you are of an artist's vision. Clearly, I am not accepting. Well, you haven't seen it. You don't know. No, but even the concept puts my, makes me on it, edge. It, like I said, it's got a foreword that tells you don't try and understand this, but try and feel it. It's <sighs> kind of weird. I know it would kill you. It would kill you. <laughs> <That's awful. laughs> Glad I spoke to you, though. Yeah. Jimmy Corrigan, smartest kid on earth. What did it change for you? Did it change anything? It changed the way I looked at producing art. Because I always wanted to like fit into somewhat someone what someone else liked, but for me as a guy who draws, I thought you know what maybe I can do whatever I like and see who it talks to. 
And that has happened a couple of times. There's a little bit of that in this podcast as well, which is Absolutely. like... Absolutely. We know, didn't think it would work. For a, while, <laughs> oh, for a while there, we were like, let's chase the listens. Let's try and find the most popular topics. And now it's just like, let's just do what we fucking want to do. Exactly. Because And if, if they like it, they like it. If they don't, yeah, that's they don't. okay yeah, too. Because that's it's a great game. Don't get me wrong, but it's not what it's all about. Getting listens. It's about, exactly. uh, it's about what we're doing in this room. Yeah, so, yeah. In a nice way. And hopefully you guys <laughs> hang around. Yes. <laughs> My number seven then is, or could be... This is making everyone fucking laugh, especially you, Wayne. Okay, let's hear it. It could be the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition <laughs> Dungeon Master Handbook, but instead, it's called Shadowdale, Book One of the Avatar trilogy by Richard Alderson, released in 1989. Wow, what's this? This is the first novel I've read set in an AD and D world, The Forgotten Realms, and it, along with at the same time getting into Dungeons and Dragons, shaped my love of sort of fantasy Absolutely. and the whole thing that was for the next three, four, five years of my life, was very, very regular. I read just about every one of these Forgotten Realms novels over the next eight or nine years, and they would release them very regularly. They were knew they were onto a good thing. Some of them, as written by the guy who wrote the Drizzt Erden character, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, which is terrible, but made the New York Times bestsellers. I think these books, actually, if not Shadowdale, but the, the second and the third one, Tantris and Waterdeep, made the New York Times bestseller lists. Mm. So they had a big audience, and they really, really did get out there to the world. Some were shit, others were incredible, but I've always had a soft spot for this series as a result of reading this book and it basically follows the gods have been cast out and they're walking among mortals as seemingly looking normal elves or humans or dwarves or whatever they were. Do they still have god powers? Well, minor. Oh! Yeah, not not the god powers that they had. They were very much muted and so they were kind of forced to survive and it follows this, this group of companions, the last survivors of this particular company that got wiped out. As they're trying to escape the hand, the, the god of death, if it gets this amulet that they've got possession of, the god of death can rule them all and take over everything. And so it's awesome. Good read. Yeah. I look, it completely captured 14-year-old me's mind mm. and shaped what, as I said, was to happen after that. So I'm Did gonna, you Were you nonplussed about the Dungeons & Dragons-y things before this? Like, was yeah. It, were you, are you, I have no idea. What, um, is it, and did you get into this because of your is the games? Or was it like you just tried it? Yeah, all around the same time. So there was that game Azure Bonds and yeah. then there was this book and yeah. then it was, oh, for my 14th or 15th birthday, I can't remember. I was like, oh, can I have that particular gaming module? And then it went from there. Ah, I wonder how many uh, Lord of the Rings fans are in the same boat as you where they came back. To and I must like- admit, you know, as far as the novels go, you won't see Lord of the Rings on my list. Hell no, that fucking novel sucks. My sister fucking will, will shit on me for this because yeah. she loves Tolkien. Right? As most of the Tolkien fans, Tolkien oh, fans Oh God, will. I threw it across the room. It's so full it's of shit. It's so boring. Yep. It's, yeah, it, you we owe an incredible debt. We yes. owe an incredible debt to Tolkien for all he's done. Because he created the, the genre. Created the right? genre, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. So on that level, well yeah. done, but yeah. fuck me. But actually, the book itself, not for me. Even The Hobbit didn't care for it. I like The Hobbit more. Yeah, because it was shorter. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice one. My, I'm glad you mentioned that because my number six is actually about you and me. All right? Ooh, okay. Paul always, since I guess the age of 14, sung the praises of the, the Dungeons and Dragons, what I call the hack and slash genre, the fantasy genre I share. And I was never into it. Uh, but what this book changed for me was that I absolutely started to trust his... His judgment on this song. <laughs> it took years. Not that I hated it or didn't didn't trust him, but like he recommended a book to me and he said it was this is one of the best debuts I've ever seen from an author. And the book is called The Lies of Locke Lamora. Oh. Do you know this book? Of course you know, right? Of course I do. Of course I do. Okay. Scott Lynch. 
Scott Lynch, right? Yep. Now, everyone, this is... I, I, it's really hard for me to tell you this and recommend it to you, but I absolutely recommend it to you. It's pretty right? hilarious, though, that this is coming from about 2000, circa 2014 or so, where Wayne says, I finally trusted Paul's judgment. Yet here we are <laughs> nine years later, where I recommend films on a fucking weekly basis to this Which cunt. Which I... Yeah. And, <laughs> and he mostly ignores them. And then he'll tell you 20 weeks later, I saw this film. Yeah. I don't know why I watched it. But it was okay. Or I fucking hate it. I'll be like, because I told you to watch well, it. Well, I think that all comes from this fall. <laughs> because uh, the, my not watching the films that you recommend are purely a result of my bad time management. <laughs> sure. So, you know. But this one here, i got to tell you this, guys. right? This the book, and Paul said it was not perfect. And I agree. Right? The Lies of Loch Namora came out in 2006. and So I was late to the game, wasn't it? Right. But, like... It's about a group of elite con artists in that in you fantasy, know, fantasy thing. Yeah. They call themselves the Gentleman Bastards, and they rob the rich of this city called Camor, which and the, and the city seems to be based on late medieval Venice, but it's not formally named. But because yeah, everyone, yep. yeah, because everyone's got names like Loch Lamour and fucking, they're very Italian-sounding names, right? So the book interweaves two stories about the Gentleman Bastards, and they fight this guy named the Grey King, and then. Ultimately, it goes into the history of Camor and the Gentleman Bastards in Loch Lamora. So it is, what I would tell you about this this book is that imagine Ocean's Eleven set it's back good. in the day, it's good call. except quite a bit more bloodthirsty. And the shit that happens are re- is really like, like main characters die like a motherfucker, like, yeah. which is of course why Paul liked it. Yep. But, um, <laughs> we'll but the, the, uh, and what I got from me was that I would say that the novel, although it's never boring, there's a relatively slow start for the first hundred pages. But once I hit the hundred page mark, there was no stopping me. I read 300 pages of the book within a fucking day, which is not something I do. It grabs you. And I'm talking like sleeping hours were sacrificed. This book is so good that it actually got me. And by the way, Warner Brothers bought the film rights to this book right after, uh, in 2006. There were people that were actually set to write the screenplay, and then the rights lapped in 2010. So something went down with that. But I then went on to, to read the next two books, which I will tell you are not as good. This okay, you've read, I've not even read The Republic of Thieves. The, I, only, I only read Red Skies, Red Sail, something like that, whatever the second yeah, one was called. The, th- the last one is about, it's pretty much about all the characters putting on a play, and it's really <sighs> weirdly weird. It's like, this is not working. So there's a, so Scott Lynch, he's on the record as he's got depression, and he really struggles. And so there's, there's three writers really? in this world, one of whom we're going to mention here today. Yeah who are more than a decade out from their last book of a major fantasy <laughs> series. Absolutely. Scott Lynch is one of them. Is he? So Because he, he said it was going to be a seven-book series, and I, mm-hmm. think this is, I think it ended here. At the well, third it one. hasn't officially ended. But we've heard nothing but from him. But there's been no like, fourth book. Yeah. yeah. So oh, that's, uh, it's unfortunate. And he's not got the success of at least one other person that <laughs> falls into the same category. So it's not like he's busy doing other things. Yeah. deprioritizing the thing that made him famous. He it's, might be debilitatively... Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, this is... I was so into the characters of the book that I started Googling around to see if people how popular it was. People have drawn these characters. Yeah, people have done their own version of what they look like. And it almost made me draw... I didn't do it, but I almost like thought, I'm going to put out what I think that character looks like into the world. And you see should, man. I really should. I've got to reread it now because it's been so talent. long. Yeah. But there you are. So, yeah, I didn't uh, like the second book anywhere as much. And the third book sits on my to-be-read shelf and it has done for about the last eight, nine years. Yeah. I Again, I didn't really read it. Um, that does not... <laughs> Given how little I read I these days, it does not. I don't think it's going to get on your list, yeah. but um, well, it's sitting there in physically in my office. Yeah, see, and this. Oh, I should ask you this: 
How many do you read all your books physically, or you're a Kindle guy? What's the deal? Well, at some point I had to, especially when I was reading two hundred books a fucking year. No shit, right? I put had to put them on my phone and go into onto Kindle and the like. I do have a lot of books, and you ask my wife, she'll be like, "Fuck, he does get rid of half of them, three quarters of them. I don't have enough room in the house." Yeah. So let me. Uh, yeah. You know, this is a funny thing. I always say this, and people roll their eyes. A major reason I'm not as prolific a reader as you, or even as anyone, although it's what I should be, is that I holding physically holding the book up while I'm reading tires out my arms, and I don't <laughs> want to do it. I know, I know, and I'm I'm gonna allude there, to that in my next. There one. are literally things now where you can the stands that hold the book open for you, and you can just sit there with your arms folded or behind you while head, I'm lying on my back. Or if you must do, Wayne, if you're wanking. <laughs> <it's-> <laughs> Actually, have you seen? Because some of these books are heavy. If that falls on my head, it'll break my nose. So I'm just you know, saying. I'm saying. I've seen that thing. I've seen it advertised. So all right, all right. My I've just realised while you're talking there, I completely missed a really important one. So I'm gonna fucking wane the shit out of this, that's and good, I bro. am eventually gonna combine two into one because they're by the same author. Busted in. But anyway, that's not now. My number six is from my favourite, arguably horror author of all time. It's from Brian Keane. It was the first of his books that I read. Came out in 2005, so it must have been around then because it was on the new release bookshelf when I picked it up at Dimmick's in the City. That's an Aussie bookstore and chain. When I was going to meet up with a mate who was coming over from the Eastern States, Adam, for a beer one day. Mm-hmm. And he was running a bit late. And I oh, fuck it, walked to the bookstore, picked this up. Oh, this book. Oh, fuck it. And I went to the pub, sat down, started reading with a pint next to me and was mildly annoyed when Adam turned up. Oh, because the book <laughs> was, the book so, was so engrossing. so fucking good. It was then called The Conqueror Worms. It's since been re-released as Earthworm Gods what? by Brian Keane. Do you know of this author and that's why you picked it up? No. Or you just time, read the blurb? I'd never. Yeah, I just went, oh, this is the end of the world apocalyptic stuff. And the book basically follows a couple of old timers, guys who are very elderly and it's written from the first person perspective, which I don't normally enjoy either. Mm. don't like first person stuff normally, but this one got under my skin. And the first half of the book is from this guy, Teddy Garnett's perspective. And the rain starts and it doesn't stop. And everything floods and the water keeps rising and rising. And then from out of the earth come these really large worms that start taking people down, tremors style, and eating them. Holy shit. And then the second Holy half shit, of the book... Holy shit, only you would read this book. Get going. In the second <laughs> half of the book, they come across a couple of other survivors who tell them the story about where they were in a city. And it turns out this is like this big invasion by elder gods from other dimensions. Now, Brian King is doing what Stephen King started with the Dark Tower and what Marvel and comics and DC have done since time immemorial, which is he connects everything together. So all of his books, and as you read through them, there's, I don't know, 30, 40 of these books. He's he's written countless short stories. They all relate in one shape or form or another. He's got a serial killer which runs through a lot of his books called The Exit, and he's closing doors to other dimensions by murdering people. That's his whole point. He's actually a good guy in disguise. Oh! Right, for example... But I was completely that actually is kind of cool. Drawn in by by this whole this story, which then evolved into all these other books. And he's got he's very active on live, very outspoken author. He did a podcast for a bunch of years, which I listened to most of it as well. Before his co-author got quite ill, and then event co-author co-podcast uh, host died mm-hmm. very sadly. But he's also big in the kind of unionized worlds of writers and whatever else. So he's he's very vocal. But he's also very interactive. So a couple of times I've posted this forum, he's replied directly to me. When I told this story about when reading his first book, his, my mate arrived, I was annoyed. He goes, I'm really sorry for interrupting your mates and beers. Like he bothered to, to reply directly. How nice. Yeah, so he's a, he seems like a, you know, he's a man of the people, if I can put it that way. And I've bought signed copies of his shit. I've spent more money on Brian King than I've spent on any other author in my life. So, yeah. So would you say it's 
not that, not that we're hung, you know this the world the life changing thing is very dramatic, but like, the life changing for me is to really connect with what an author's putting out there and realize it can have such an effect on you, and then like if like I said, even though I don't write as much these days, if I ever was, it opens this is the, the possibility guy, for this you. Is the guy that I would, would emulate. Yeah, you know the idea that a writer can write multiple books and then essentially have those books have to do with each other, creating a world. Yes, but more importantly. Writers like that are the true creators because not only are you writing a book that you put out there, you're now having Elmo Leonard does this as well. Like Raylan Givens is some in some books yeah. and he's not and things like that. You know, that's so cool that there is literally a world out there that people are following and it's all come from you. And he's he's had a few health problems, Brian Keane. I think he's in his late mid to late fifties. He has started bringing them all together in a seven book series, mm-hmm. where he's releasing one book a year, Wayne, because they're not thousand pages long. They are about 250 pages long. Mm. And he's bringing all the characters together. And like it's called an Avengers Assemble A thing? little bit. It's called, and, he, and he's written for, by the way, he's written for Marvel. So he's actually, a, wow. and he's done a couple of graphic novels himself. One of them called The Last Zombie. Wow. And he literally says, that's where my inspiration comes from. And he's brought seven of his major characters together to fight against this overall universal evil. And I'm up to book two. Book two, I can, you can buy now. Book three is just out for pre-release right now. Wow. Yeah, there you Very go. Very cool. Nice one. All right. Uh, my number five is, look, I don't know exactly how it changed my life, but it did. And it's got a little to do with, sounds stupid, but like, you know how I said I don't like reading books, like the actual physical book, because it makes my hand tired? Yep. I, because I got so into this series, learned to read books on my iPad, lock them on the side, and then read by right, by li- lying on a bed on my side and looking at it on my nightstand and just tapping it to actually change the pages. <laughs> That's one of the reasons. It, that's one of the reasons it changed how sure. I consume things. But the other thing is that I never thought that I would actually like this genre this much. It's a song of ice and fire. Hey, guess there what? You go. Your number. This is your number. It's f- my number five. My number five is a song, song of, ice, of and ice and fire. All right, now, Paul. The second folks. week in a row, we've had exactly the same thing, exactly the same spot. Wow. Next step, ladies and gentlemen. Now, this is. Um, let's just talk about this because let's see. You've all watched Game of Thrones. Another recommend from me, by the way. That's what I mean. This was the other thing. I think this may have been the second one where I... I'm pretty sure I recommended this one before. Did you? Or maybe I didn't because maybe it was it was the implementation actually, of the TV series. I went, you've got to read the books. Actually, you probably did recommend yeah. this before and I hadn't watched it. Yeah. And then I saw the TV show and I watched the whole first season and I wanted to know what was happening next. So I'm like, let me get into this book and... Because my whole thing with this series of books is I had said since the dawn of time, yes. there were two things I wanted to see made film. Dawn of time, since I read them. Yeah. A Song of Ice and Fire needs to be a series of films or as it turns out, a HBO TV series. Yep. The other one is number two on my list. Okay, good. Now, let's talk about this. I know you like to put your foot in George's ass for being oh, lazy. God. And like and absolutely we all know this, right? But let's take let's take the work on its own, right? Yeah, okay. This guy writes like you a motherfucker. You do that part, I'll, I'll do the <laughs> Yeah. He writes like a motherfucker. I was reading this thing and I was like, I actually am just looking at the skill he has with writing. Unless you were great at writing, you're not going to nail me to read, Paul, every single one of these books. I didn't just... The first three books are the best, and frankly, oh, yeah, 100%. it turns to shit after that. I read all of them, I, and they are... I uh, disagree. I don't think it turns to shit. It's bro, just the, the problem is... He killed everyone? Books one, two, and three are so good. They are, and I don't give perfect scores very often, 10 out of 10 material together. I agree. A Storm of Swords, the third book in the series, divided into two parts because it was too big to yep, fit into yep. a single paperback novel, is some of the best... The probably arguably the second or third best book I've ever read. The yeah. series up to that point was undoubtedly the best series of books I've ever read. Does it drop away with a feast for crows and Dance of Dragons? Dance of Dragons, yes. 
Is it still seven and a half, eight out of ten? Yes. It's just that it's not as good as it was. Well, basically what happens is by the time you're getting to that book five, right? Everyone's fucking dead except for three cunts or no, something. No, that's not true. Not true at all. It's that he made the decision to go, okay, book four is going to follow half my characters that are left and book five is going to follow the other half. Five's better than four, but he still introduces other people while you're going. Yeah. Four was the hardest yards for me. But again, still seven and a half out of ten. Five for me, eight out of ten. Not as good. But if you are setting things up, which I believe he was, to bring it all home in book six and seven, uh, the winds of winter and a something of spring or what the fuck it was sure. going to be. I will forgive that as long as you nail the last two books. And this will be the greatest series ever written. The problem is 12.25 fucking <laughs> years later, Wayne, <laughs> almost 12 and a half years later, there's been no hide nor hair of book six because he's too busy jerking himself off over his fucking wads of money that mm, are mm. he swims in on a daily basis and then keeps putting everything else in front because he has written himself into too many corners he can't get out of. I, That's why I firmly believe. Yeah, you know that is the thing. Like, so we well, all shit on Benisol. I do, and Weiss yeah, for, for telling the end of this tale. But at least they told something. At least yeah. they gave us an ending. Yeah. This guy is gonna die. Yeah, and he gets angry when anyone says that because you're a fat, overweight, <laughs> fucking piece of shit <laughs> who does nothing. You are gonna die, George. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope I'm alive longer than you are because, dear God, there's something wrong with the world if I'm not. But anyway, knock on wood. But <laughs> tap, tap. my point is, like, it's okay for people to ask that question because you're 75, whatever you are, and you are not a healthy man. Yeah. Fucking finish it off. You were 63 when you last published the last book. I'm going to check his age now while you continue. Well, this uh, one thing I will tell you about, like, his later novels in this series is that the only really cool thing about them in the later on is that Barristan Selmy is still alive, which he's not in the, he dies really early in the in the in the TV show. Mm-hmm. Right? And he has become the best character because he's such a gangster at the age of whatever he's supposed to be. He's old, right? Um, Hold that thought, because I've got more to say about that later. Oh really? Not about Barristan Selmy. Oh, okay, yeah. And so and this is the thing. Look, long story short is there's so many new characters because he had he killed everyone that it's you know I hadn't had time to get through them and this half and half falling shit didn't really work for me because I'm like where are all these other folks? There's a part of me that wonders Wayne whether or not he is the greatest genius who's is so far above all the rest of us. He's like the series being made now. People are invested. I can wait as long as I want. I'm going to wait just long enough that you have to go and rebuy all my books again if you oh. don't hold them on to reread them to keep up with what's going well, on. Well, I'll tell you this, Paul. I don't fucking remember exactly, any of that saying. shit. I'll be reading summaries if indeed I give him the I've time read of day. all three of those first three books three times over. I've wow. read Feast for Crows twice and I've read Dance of Dragons once. So there's no way you could pick up The Winds of Winter and follow what's going on now without going back to read at least the last two books again. And that's what YouTube is for. Yeah, so, <laughs> unless you can find someone who's willing to put someone their 30 minutes in exactly. or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, who knows? I mean, I don't think it was going to go rebuy him. I think they're going to do what I would do. But again, I don't even think I'm going to read those last two because I think I've fallen... I've checked out so long. I want to see whether it ends differently, whether they can correct the wrongs. Maybe I'll read a summary series. of those new books. <laughs> if I'll tell sense. you whether it's worthwhile. There, there you go. There you go. But uh, to be honest, I don't think we're ever going to see The Winds of Winter. He's, yeah. He is literally 75. I was not making that shit Well, up. I think as much as the show dropped the ball in the last few seasons, apparently they did ask him what, what happens with each of these characters and they depicted it. They fucked it I, up but i here's again here's my next conspiracy theory he's then seen the backlash about daenerys in particular i bet you he changes and it. he's changing it now so, okay fuck can't go that way you need to now rewrite that part yeah the makes prob- sense right you know what the daenerys thing would have been fine if it didn't happen in 10 seconds yeah it would look, look if, i don't think it, it did happen in 10 seconds if i mildly defend that tv show just for a moment there were little notes were here and there, there but not enough, for it to not work. enough but it's more the jamie 
thing in particular, which is just god awful. Where he died with and his... the fact that the the Knights King and Koa defeated in, in one and a half episodes after you build up for six fucking seven seasons to get there. Bullshit. Oh, yeah. Absolute bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, Song of Ice and Fire is my number. Well, our number our five. Our number five. Very, very. And of course, that just completely blew my mind. I remember reading the the Red Wedding scene. That's all I'll say about it in case people haven't read it or seen it. And I moved to do so and had to reread that entire chapter again. I was so fucking blown away. I've never been more affected by a death of a character in a t- in a book, TV show or anything ever. Bro, uh, when it happened, I almost put the book down. And that's never happened before. Like, I'm like, holy shit. And then even he said that he had to actually kind of, he wrote it at the end because it, it upset him so much. So, yeah, it well, was amazing. So, yeah. Absolutely. And the TV show, it was fucking insane. It was great as well. Very well done. So. And then we saw those reactions on YouTube of people losing their minds. I was and, watching and my girlfriend so, watch yeah, it. Yeah, my wife. At, well, my <laughs> girlfriend then, my now wife. Yeah. yeah the time. I was like, she goes, what? Is that, is that real? I'm like, yeah, it's real. That happened. She's like, holy fuck. So, anyway. Yep, amazing. Nice All right, one. my number four will be quicker on this one because this just helps explain where I get to. So, not, this book is called The Snake by John Gotti of 1978. John Gotti wrote The Taking of Pelham 123, from which we got the movies, yeah, including the John Travolta and I think Denzel Washington remake uh, in 2009. This is a mystery thriller novel, which is pretty simple. It just basically follows this guy, gets mugged and killed in Central Park, New York, late one night. He's carrying rocks. It falls and breaks open and inside is a deadly black mamba snake. Oh. And the snake then runs around through Central Park and crawls into an apartment building starts. Anyone who comes across it, generally speaking, meets a bad end. And Wait, that's the fucking book? That's the book. Here's what makes it significant. Yeah. I read this book when I was in year three. Huh? So I read this adult novel when I was eight <laughs> years old. Another piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And found this, you know, because by that stage, my reading ability was good enough that my parents would let me, my dad, my mom never came to the library in her life. My dad would let me go into the adult section. And I vividly remember to this day, the first two books that I got out, one was another one about wolves. And the snake was the other one, but this is the one that endures in my memory because it's... You were eight years old when you read this. Yeah, when I was reading adult novel. And people would look at me strangely because you can imagine seeing an eight-year-old walking in yeah, the adult be like, section of the library. And that's where I read from from that day forth. This book solidified my love of... Gore's too strong a word because no one gets... I mean, you get bit by a snake, you die. Sort of like, yeah, just sort but of like sinister kind of yeah, shit. Yeah, dark undertones and whatever else. And the fact that, oh... Even though people might, and I do remember even being eight and picking up people looking at me strangely, adults looking at me strangely in, in the public section of the library because, you know, that's what you did back yeah. in 1983. There's no restriction on books, is there? Except for the, no. you know. No, it wasn't like, I don't think there were too many R-rated books, let's put it that way. Absolutely. And my dad would stand behind me and get them out and I'm sure, well, I don't know. I can only imagine if my daughter was in picking up adult books to read, I'd be like, yeah, fuck yeah, it's my kid. Man, yep. I forgot about an R-rated book that I probably could have put on here. Yeah. Is it on yours? No. American Psycho. American, American Psycho, yeah. yeah amazing. Um, okay. So, yeah, the, the, it just solidified my love of reading and, you know, reading lots of probably things that are above my age. And I don't remember, I couldn't understand the word Sanofanovich or son of a bitch, but son of a bitch one yeah, word, yeah. which I could not <laughs> tease out as an eight year old. Bro. Yeah, that's a lot. Okay, nice. Uh, one of my number four is, uh, I'll, I'll be quick on this as well because we're going long. Um, it's, a war, it's a book called The War of Art. Ooh. Now, I know there's the Sun Tzu book, The Art of War. Yeah. This book is on purpose called The War ah. of Art. Okay. By a guy named Stephen Pressfield. Stephen Pressfield is a best-selling author now. He wrote a book called The Legend of Bagger Vance, which turned yeah, yeah. to that Will Smith mo- yeah, movie. Exactly, yep. But before that, this book is basically about... This is a self-help book. And it's about essentially being an artist, in his case a writer, and what stops you from being 
an artist. That's cool. Yeah, and he actually personifies it. He calls it the resistance. He says it's the greatest enemy of not just artists, but the world. The resistance is the reason for all of the unhappiness in the world. Because it's literally the force right. which stops you from doing your job as an artist. I'm making this face like, wow, that's interesting. I had to try and put it into verbal. So I went yeah, with right. No, it is. And, and, and actually, <laughs> his philosophy is that basically making art, in writing in particular, is kind of a warrior code. It's internal rather than external. You are fighting with yourself. Mm. And every time you don't write or you don't draw or you don't do the art that you want to do that is in your soul, right. the resistance wins. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I like it. Yeah, and it's like this whole. He says he believes in previous lives. He believes in the muse. All right, you he lost believes. Me. No, he thinks that literally when you actually sit down and do your work, he said that there's literally the muse will reward you by sitting next to you and helping you do it. He thinks he's got a whole scientific thing. He about, started so well. No, no, no. no, no <laughs> I know what you mean. And the, the the one thing that is a little bit perhaps off putting about the book is that he's a little bit religious, and for me that's a little weird. Yeah. But he does say he does actually explain it by saying that. It's a long story, but long story, long story short is your ego wants you to not succeed because when you are actually able to do things without your ego, the ego is out of business. And as a result, it sort of fights against your willingness and your ability to produce what's in your soul. I know it sounds a little bit... Yeah, um, you kind of lost me... You- when you when you stray into Freudian terms, like uh, maybe just stay on your own basis. Honestly, if you if you he, he was on a Joe Rogan podcast once, you should listen to or watch that episode because he talks about it way better than I explained it. Of course, but it is really really cool, and it did really really help me in terms of like moving on things that I want to do in terms of art. So um, he did an actual second book called Turning Pro, which is actually better because it gives you um, actual. Uh, methods in how to beat the resistance and it's really really quite in- okay. inspiring so the war of art is great for any of you artist types out there well your number three was very much in relation to your kind of calling if mm. you will. my number three is the same my number three is called they fuck you up how ah, to survive family life by oliver james a clinical psychologist from the uk and I read this book in 2006 after certain developments in my life and it helped me better understand why, why, why I was the way I was in relationships mm. and to this day will help me when I have a particular abreaction to things. I'm not saying I'm, I never have abreactions and I'm not saying I'm, not a, I'm a perfect partner by any stretch of the imagination. Saying that after reflection, I can often in the terms of this book realize what's going on How? and make an adjustment. So it's really well put together. The first chapter of this book is fucking garbage. Really? I want to say this is a hard thing to sell. So... I would basically say skip chapter one if you decide to read this book after listening What's to this. What's chapter one telling you? Chapter one basically tells you it's not about genetics. It's about your upbringing. It's nurture over nature. That's the whole, his whole treaty. And you disagree with this? No, I agree with 100%. It's just that how boring he becomes in him making his point. Oh, almost, almost, the writing is not so good. Yeah, the writing's terrible. Then from chapter two onwards, he basically follows the lifespan from like very early on in life like your first six months and the experiences you have as a child, how it shapes you psychologically. Mm. And then well, maybe it's the first year and then year one through three and then three through seven and then seven through 11. And then so basically 11 is, is the end point. You are mapped out to be who you are by the ages of 10 or 11. Wow. It's too late after that. Traumas can change you. A really traumatic event can change anybody, mm. but that's where your formative years are. That's where even – even this is not really in his book, but now his research to suggest that before you're born, in that particular last trimester, the experiences your parents are having, your mother in particular is having, obviously mother, is going to shape who you are psychologically, what? not just not just physically. 
So this changed the way that I was in relationships. My wife's probably laughing, going, oh my God, how was he before? <laughs> but it also changed the way how I practice as a psychologist from that point forward, mapped onto what I'd learnt from Dr. Bill Saunders, as otherwise mentioned, and became the book I recommend most to people I know, to people I see as clients, and has shaped who I am as a psychologist more than any other. So, so They Fuck go. You Up refers to your parents. Yeah. And it's not really a hate on on parenthood. Well, he also gives anecdotes around famous people and their stories. So, like Prince Charles and Jeffrey Archer and all these other sort of, there's a few other famous people in there too. So, he illustrates his points anecdotally with that kind of people gone on record with their memoirs or it's well known their stories and say, here's how that fits in with this and how you are. So, can I ask you, is there, a, let's say that you find, you know, I don't know if this is covered in the book, but let's say you find that your parents fucked you up by being a certain way. Is there, is there a methodology to combat that and become somewhere else or, or, or fix that? A little bit like you just described with your last book. It's not so much about fixing it as being aware because if you're aware, you can, you you can, can change. You can, yeah. right? So if, it, if your instinct is to be angry about X, someone didn't offer me a cup of coffee when they made themselves one. Hmm. If you understand where that comes from in your childhood where no one thought of you, you're less likely to take it out on your partner slash friend because they didn't do that knowingly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that I mean? makes sense. Yeah. 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 Very nice. They F you up. Yep. Nice. Actually, okay. it's F star 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 you up. Okay. How to survive family life. Very useful. All right, cool. Uh, well, my number three is a book that I think... Uh, this I only read this book maybe three or four years ago and... Uh, let me tell you something, people. Paul can tell you this a million times. I am the world's largest procrastinator. <laughs> the world's largest. I don't care who you that's know not, no, or absolutely. who you think you it's are. It's not true because you function well enough. You get by. You, no, to you, live. And, and, and Yeah, it's to live. And also you haven't lost th- th- 35 dobs from being a procrastinator or you haven't mm. failed 35 things. So you're not. But I hear what you're saying. There's an element to you. Oh, there's a... Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that literally I have quite a bit of shame about i'll tell you i've developed this over the years and it's the reason i stopped smoking weed it's a it's a lot of things that have happened sort of the last few years of me for me uh this book called the slight edge is essentially i've never had a book speak to me so much and i will tell you this some of the chapters are a bit fucking yada yada runs on a bit he does have a chapter where his daughter writes it and it's fucking pure drivel (laughs) but um (laughs) nepotism yeah but i will tell you that the push of the book is essentially a way of thinking a way of processing information that enables you to make the daily choices that will lead you more to success and happiness it's essentially talking about why some people make dream after dream come true and some people just never get out of their rut yep and the long story is that no success is immediate and nor is any failure instantaneous it shows you how the right and wrong choices you make at the moment will have zero effect on you, your day, your mindset, no noticeable impact on how everything goes, or tomorrow, or the day after, or and so on. You have to look at everything with the lens of time, which is very difficult to do, but the book shows you how to do it. And essentially saying that your tiny little steps every day as a, it will do far more for you than some grand sweeping like productive day that you have. Yeah, I agree. And it's yeah, essentially like it's it's kind of not just a self-help motivational tool because it sounds very like la yada yada. The way it's put together and the way because sh- I think it's written by a certain personality type, which is absolutely my personality type. Okay, and he's like, here's why we all failed, and it's exactly why the why yeah, I failed. Spoke to you, yeah, and it came back to me. So the slight that. edge is a, is a great book. Give it a try. 
Good stuff, sir. My number two. Here's where I'm going to shoehorn in two from the same author. Let's go. My number two, I wrote here, 1,138 pages. In the summer of 19... No. Yeah, it must have been late. The late summer of 1986 going into 1987, we went away for a two-week holiday or 10-day holiday, whatever it was. You and your fam? Yep, my family. And my mother took with her It by Stephen King. The book. The book. Wow. 1,138 pages. And so I started reading it when my mum wasn't. So she, it was her book? Her book. She, she bought it. it up. She bought it. And I'm like, oh, what's this? This looks interesting. And, and the cover image is eyes. I remember it. In a drain. It scared the shit out of me. And because I was already into horror, because I was already uh, reading well above my age. Yes, if yes. I can, sorry, without sounding no, no, too stuck on myself. So I picked it up. And whenever mum wasn't, it was, it kind of became a running joke. Like mum had first dibs at it because she's mum. Yeah. And she bought it. Yeah. And I was just like. Are you done with that, Mum? Can I? You know, when she put it down, like, are you finished? And, and the other times she'd be busy doing whatever you would do. Because how old was Mum in 1986? Fucking no, 30, 32. Wow. So she was drinking and having fun and doing it off with the rest of the fam that came away mm-hmm. or whatever else. So mm-hmm. I would pick it up and I would just lay there and I would read this book and I almost finished it before her. Almost. Yeah. And it completely captivated me. Like this was my. Introduction to Stephen King as a Eight, eleven year old. Six. You're eleven years old. Isn't there a scene in that book where the kids all fuck each other? Well, uh, there is. It's weird, weird scene. Yeah, that part didn't speak to me, but the fact that but the fact that you were exposed to it, twelve year olds are forming this bond. Obviously, that really, uh, really worked. But it also really influenced me as a creative type in the sense of it doesn't have to be this grandiose. I mean, this is about small town and how the town's being overtaken by evil. And how you got to know the town both then and now because mm. it takes place in the 50s and the 80s. I've updated it for the movies to be the 80s and the 2000 and mid-2015, yep. 2017, whatever it was. That so worked for me in a yeah. way that it informed, I think, even my idea of what being a writer was. And, of course, Stephen King's the biggest writer in the world in 1986. So, I'm not going on a journey no one else has been on. Yeah. But then a few years later after this, about nine or ten years later, I read The Mist. Mm. The Mist is the greatest 100, 105, 110, whatever it is, pages novella I've ever read. Yeah. I have never, ever been so invested in the story of a group of people. It was exactly everything by the time I was 21, 22 years old, loved about horror and the like. And Stephen King perfectly encapsulated it. I thought he did the perfect ending. There's a big argument to say that Frank Darabont's ending in his film is better, which Stephen King himself has acknowledged. Yes. Because that's what he was going for—the nihilism and lack of hope and whatever else. That at that particular point, that comes from Skeleton Crew, The Mist, which was written way back, I think, in 1980 or 1981. So mm-hmm. I came to it, it 17, 16, 17 years after it was written, and I was yeah. so captivated. Stephen King, I I understood through that period of my 10 years of life, was the best writer I'd ever written, read. Sorry, and I hoped to emulate in many, many ways. That's evolved to be Brian Keane over time, but for many, many mm-hmm. years, he was. The go-to for me. Did you see that TV show called... Castle Rock. Yeah. Yep. The first season is magnificent. Is it? Because it talks all about his the whole thing, right? Yeah. His, okay, okay. We're not. Nice one. Uh, would you say Stephen King is the finest horror writer that ever lived? No, because he's department. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I know he's not doing great things anymore. Not for me. Yeah. I think there's people who love him to the high heavens for yeah. whatever he's done. And we'll hear a little bit about him in the listener feedback when we get there shortly. Okay. But yeah, I, I completely lost me after the mid-90s to early yeah. 2000s. Okay. 
Happens. Uh, nice one. Well, my number two is definitely the most woo-woo of the books on my list. Ooh, okay. Okay. Uh, and I did read this pretty much this year, last year. It is a book called The... Uh, it sounds... This is going to sound really like, what the hell are you talking about, Wayne? Fair enough. It's called The Untethered Soul, and it's by an author named Michael A. Singer. Okay. What's uh, about? Now... It is essentially about... There's also a very famous book called Letting Go, which some people may have heard of. Yeah, it's and from the Frozen soundtrack. There it is. <laughs> Letting Go, <laughs> not Let It Go. And look, I actually consumed this book by... I don't know if this counts, but it's audiobook. Yeah, of course okay. it does. Fine. I took, is um, it published in the written word somewhere? Absolutely. There you go. I had a pretty rough time over the last year or so, folks. And I basically had to... I took to walking around my neighborhood listening to this book over and over and over. And it is essentially about freeing yourself from the limitations of your own brain, essentially. Okay. Long story short is that it teaches you to see yourself. It's very useful to see yourself as a simply an observer of your thoughts rather than believing that the thought makes you and not having to be jerked around by that nagging voice in your head. And this is actually a, a methodology of letting that go. Basically, humans like to relive bad shit that happens for some reason. There's a saying that goes, pain is real, but suffering only happens in your mind. Where the, the yeah, thing that happens to you is like, okay, well, that happened. And normally you would want to not think about that anymore and let it affect you, but people tend to play it over in their head. Yeah, stuck it with is. it. Exactly. This book is actually about a methodology of allowing that to pass away from you and stop you from actually continuing to fuck up and you actually become free. This author does make it very simple. He's a little unusual in his way. He's definitely a hippie and a motherfucker. But it sort of changed. I, the better you get at it, you can do it immediately. Like sometimes when it starts, it takes you like an hour to let something go. But when you get really good at it, something bad will happen to you. Literally, it'll be over before it starts. You're like, oh, that happened. Boom. And you've let it go. I'm not quite there yet, but it's up there. And I would say anyone who's going through a tough time, check out The Untethered okay. Soul. Yeah. Definitely changed. One of the latest changes that happened for Pretty me. Pretty hard to give you shit about something you're saying it spoke to you at a personal level. So I know. It's like, it's a, this I'm is as serious as the show gets, everyone. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's been a bit of that today. My number one, however, does not fall into that category. Right, do we want to read back through 10 through? Should we even do this? Yeah, is so it's personal. So this yeah. It's also long. All right. My number one then, straight into it then. Yeah. Hard to, hard to, you can't, you can't argue these books are better because it changed my life more. No. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's All right. So we won't do a vote for this particular week. My number one is the greatest book I've ever read. Whoa. Because it came in my heyday of fantasy love and it kills so many major characters, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so exciting. It's so well put together. And it came from such an interesting story as well, which a bit of research has, has revealed to me. It's called Legend by David Gemmell. I've heard of this book. No shit, I've, I've heard told you, you about it. Yeah, you've, exactly. And you've listened to me about... George Martin, eventually. He listened to me about Scott Lynch, yeah. eventually. Now it's time for you to listen to me about David, David Gemmell and read Legend. Legend was written in 1984 and David Gemmell, earlier than that, was struggling with this idea that he had cancer mm. and it was killing him from the inside. So he decided to write a book about that, but set in a fantasy realm. So he sets up this, well, the Drenai are this these people who have this huge fortress, basically, with 10 major walls blocking the path to like this Mongolian kind of empire. Mm. And they are they have decided they're gonna invade and take over the, the world, if you will. And it falls to two characters. One's this sort of normal sort of age normal age, like in this fantasy realm, 30, yeah. 30 year old kind yep. of general. Yep. And this legend by the name of Druss, yeah. who's like 60, 70 years old yeah. in fantasy land that's like time immemorial. Mm -hmm. And he is the greatest warrior who's ever lived. He's got this big axe called Snagger. 
and they recruit him to the cause to stand on the walls and becomes a symbol for the defenders who are completely outnumbered like 10,000 to well, it's, maybe it's 1,000 yeah. to 1. Yeah. They cannot win. They are only buying time for the rest of the realm to gather its forces to, to meet the NATO, they're called, and stop them from surging in and, and destroying and killing everyone. Wow. Okay. And David Gemmell, like they're written so well. There's so many different points of view, not just those two. There's a couple of everyday fighters, warriors who have just been recruited, they're farmers to try and stand these walls and mm. how it fall, each wall falls and they get closer and closer to the end and all the rest of it. And there's just enough magic in there to make it worthwhile as well. Yeah. And it's so much fun and so exciting and the battles are so well written. Gemmell is a fucking genius. They named this major fantasy award after him. Eventually he did die of cancer. Did he have it when he was writing this? No. Oh my God. So he, he never had cancer at that point in time in his life and it came on decades later and killed him, I think in the late 2009, 2010, 2011, somewhere around that time. Wow. And his, his wife, and I wrote, I've read every single book he's ever written. Yeah. A whole number of them are the Drenai Saga. We go back into Druss's history, his two books about his history. Eventually he's kind of resurrected in some particular way. It's just so... It's not even, I want to say intricate is not the right word, not compared to like George Martin or whatever else, but it's so much fun. It's heroic fantasy. It's the absolute best. And then he wrote a whole series of books that are about gunslingers in a fantasy land. Yeah. And they're cool. awesome as well. Wolf and Shadow. Wolf and Shadow. It starts with that. Uh, is it his style that got you? Is yeah, it his it's idea? Yeah, very easy to read. Yeah, it's that's very, good. very, very fast paced. There's none of this whole, it is the good of the good, the bad of the bad. And that's something that eventually I would move away from with the Joe Abercrombies and the George Martins of the world. Mm-hmm. People like David Eddings shit me to tears with everyone's so fucking good or <laughs> evil. And I, you know, shout out to those people who have named David Eddings as their good. I'm glad if you like that stuff and it speaks to you, that's just different values. It's diff- different what you find useful. Hmm. But David Gemmell was and is the greatest fantasy author that's ever lived, in my opinion, better than George Martin. And because wow. he fucking finished his shit. Yeah. Maybe George Martin will beat him if he actually does. But um, yeah, I just. Yeah. Channeled my AD&D stuff, it channeled my writing, it channeled the way I wrote, it channeled everything. That's shaped my life in that way. Oh, nice. You know, I met one of these authors, not one you've mentioned. His name is Raymond E. He fights. He's massively famous as well. Yeah. Lift War Saga. Yeah, my sister likes him, so I, I, he lives at a conference and I actually went and met him. Um, but that's cool. All right, nice one. Well, my number one, ladies and gentlemen, is you're going to roll your eyes maybe a little bit. It's called How to Be a 3% Man. <laughs> In that case, nailing it. Uh, let me let me let me let me get let me get let me get you guys. Hey. The guy who wrote this, his name is Corey Wayne. All right. Way. I know, I know, I know. All right? But the idea behind <laughs> this title is that, and don't, please, this is going to sound arrogant, okay? But this is just what his book is about, and it spoke to me on a few levels. Okay. Right? The idea is that he contends that ninety-seven percent of men don't really understand relationships, personal relationships with women. And only 3%, obviously this is a gimmick to sell the book, but are really that way. And he says that he has basically developed, I wouldn't call it a methodology, but it is an ideology. How are you going to develop that, implementing that methodology? It fucking is true. All of it is true. Not all of it, sorry. I would say about 80% of it I agree with wholeheartedly. Okay. And it is essentially a book of... So we pivotal. started with the game, we end with the game part two. No. <laughs> the game is bullshit. This is actually about how your purpose as a man interacts and allows and informs how you interact with the fairer sex. Okay. okay? And it's essentially kind of full of pivotal sage wisdom. I have actually read the... You're supposed to read... He actually said, you need to read this book 10 times if you want to actually learn it. All right? I'm up to eight. 
Wow. Um, and so Normally, I, you'd have been like, eat my ass! Exactly. <laughs> eat exactly. all the asses, man. I mean, I did it on audiobooks or whatever, right? But um, this <laughs> is a book. <laughs> so it actually just teaches you how to completely understand yourself in respect to women. And it does have a lot of stuff in there where... So your one is my three, basically. Just a different lens through which this is all viewed. Absolutely, because we all have different uh, yeah. you know, focuses, shall okay. we say, Paul. Yep. Um, but I'll tell you what is weird about... Well, interesting about this, all right? If you were the average woman on the street or even man on the street listening to me talk about this and listening to... This guy's big on YouTube as well. You can read his mm-hmm. stuff. You might sort of sniff and dismiss it and go fucking dumb shit. It is literally the antithesis to those red pill assholes, right? Good. Because it actually takes responsibility for what it tells you and tells you why this is actually the right way to think. Okay. Now, I've had women say... I've, I've mentioned it to women in the past, even women I've been with. And they were like, what do you mean? And I'm like, this is the book. All three of those women that I talked to told it, went and read the book, and all three of them came back to me and said, I hate to tell you this, but he's right. And two of those women said, I'm going to give this book to my boyfriend. Wow. I know. All right? So, Because <laughs> it really does teach you how to just own yourself and your masculinity in a way that's not necessarily arrogant, although some people will think it is. Okay. So there you go. How to Be a 3% Man by Corey Wayne. There we go. No Corey relation. Wayne. Nothing to do. <laughs> That's Alice Wayne. Do you want to just mention any honorable mentions that you've got? Yeah, I liked this show, this book, sorry, this book called uh, Freak. <laughs> <laughs> Even messed it up with this one. Um, Freakonomics is, a, is, an, is an interesting, very cool book. Out of Sight was the first uh, Elmore Leonard novel that I really, really liked. And I even love the movie, of course. And do you remember Terry Pratchett? Yeah, yeah of course. He wrote a book called, um, I think it was called Mort. Yep. Uh, and I, something of, I didn't know that you could be fantasy and funny at the same time. Yeah, anything with. Captain Samuel Vines is yes. my favourite for yes. that series. So great, great, great. We'll hear a bit more about that shortly with the listener feedback. Minor mentions anything and all of Joe Abercrombie's works, who is fantastic sort of grim, dark fantasy author. Oh, yeah. The Malazan Book of the Fallen, especially book number two, Dead House Gates by Stephen Erickson, probably 15 other Brian Keane novels, Tim Curran and a number of his novellas, and lastly, The Gap series by Stephen Donaldson would fall into my most influential and favourite books as well. Very nice, sir. All right, let's get on to it then. The listener feedback in a segment that we call the Pop 10. Talk about. Pop 10. Talk about. Pop 10. Good sad singing for me. But just by. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect, my friend. First contribution this week from B. Dizzle, Billy Dunham from the We Watch the Thing podcast. It's a great topic. Number three, It by Stephen King, his magnum opus. It changed the way I think about both life and literature. Number two, Little Children by Tom Perota. Admittedly, I did see the film first, but the novel is an amazing look at suburbia and marriage. Mm. Number one, Things the Grandchildren Should Know by Mark Oliver Everett from The Eels. This man has oh, had really? the most interesting and saddest life ever. The title is so biting when you know this guy, this guy will never have... The band Eels? Grandchildren. I think so. Wow. Yeah. Smiley Samani, mate to us, said, ooh, tough one. Three, War of the Worlds from H.G. Wells, the seminal masterpiece of Alien Invasion. The first novel to explore the possibilities of intelligent life from other planets and man's hubris. Number two, Frankenstein on the Modern Prometheus by Mary Shelley. First true science fiction novel that still stands the test of time over 200 years later. And number one, Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert A. Heinlein. A clever, savage critique of politics, religion, and sexual morals. This book was banned in the US on its release, following finding a cult, following in colleges across the country, and ultimately becoming a blueprint for the hippie movement. Hmm. Okay, there you go. Stephen Bird had a Robin Hobb, a Robert Royal Assassin. One I discovered as a teenager, and I continue reading her books for many years. I've read a couple of those books myself. Nice. Clive Castle of Sahara. I read this when I was about 10 or 11 and it was one of the 
books that triggered my lifelong love of reading. Dirk I love Pick that show. <laughs> was an ocean-loving Indiana Jones, and as ridiculous as his escapades were, Teen Me added up for the next 40 books or so. Holy wonder, shit. Wow. I wonder if you liked that Matt McConaughey movie. Yeah, that that disappeared fast. I liked it? it. And then lastly, the other of the three authors I mentioned have disappeared for the last 10 years after starting a seminal, seemingly seminal fantasy series, Patrick Rothfuss's The Name of the Wind. He's firmly in George R.R. R. Martin territory. We've been waiting for the third volume since 2011. That's exactly how long we've been waiting for George R.R. R. Martin's next book. But this series is simply incredible. My favorite fantasy series, no question. Well, well. All right. The other host of the We Watch The Thing podcast, David Powell, patron extraordinaire, William Goldman's Color of Light, which introduced me to my all-time favorite author, Stephen King's The Stand, his greatest work, and William Gibson's Neuromancer, still probably my favorite sci-fi, introduced me and the world to the cyberpunk genre. There you go. All these folks. Jonas Lander said, I'd be anything less than honest if I didn't say the Bible is my number one pick. It isn't an easy read for sure. I listen to a Bible in a year podcast daily and I get something new out of it every time. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Number two, The Book of Three by Lloyd Alexander. I still remember my third grade teacher in Germany. Oh, wow, John. Reading this series to us. It was the book that got me into reading. And then lastly, Ulrich of Melbourne. I wanted to say Melbourne there. <laughs> By Michael Moorcock. Yes, that is his name. <laughs> just in case you forgot, this show is about <laughs> it's dick been so jokes. Serious so far, I know. Been fucking God's serious. want me to cock. Just oh. reference. Well, <laughs> reference slash joke. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, if you're, you if you came here looking for the last, we are truly sorry for this week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't a difficult read, but it was a book that me and my clique of friends growing up all read. Well, we read many of his champion eternal books, and it was just something we talk about constantly. So mm. yeah, fair enough. John the Kid Had Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Pretty much inspired me to stop trying to be a moody, edgy writer. I won't do it better than him. Okay. So there's interesting, different than what we've described. Yes. Where we're inspired by someone yes. who's like, I can't ever do this. Fuck this. I'm yeah, out. I, well, I remember seeing Tommy Manuel live and I went, what's the point of playing the yeah, guitar yeah. though, really? The Harry Potter series number two. To this day, this series helped strengthen my bond with my mum and brother. That's awesome. Nice. And number one, Lamb, the gospel according to Biff, Christ's childhood friend. Christopher Moore is a silly writer with something very real to say. Never heard of that one. Nor have I. Hmm. Chad Fackler said, I'm a lifelong bookworm, so here we go. Douglas Adams is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, my introduction to British humor, and a book I have read more times than I can count. Number two, again, Robert A. Heinlein, Have So Space Suit Will Travel. This is my intro to call it Hard Sci-Fi. And number one, Howard Pyle, The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood. My great-grandfather would read this to me as a child and pass down his 1883 edition of the book upon his death Holy crap. to me. And thus became a lifelong love of books in general and classics in particular. You have a book from 1883 That's pretty in fucking awesome. That's insane. Pretty awesome. Stephen Croon had number three, Ice Station by Matthew Riley, the aforementioned director of... I know of that one. Elsa Patiki. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We talked about that in our review today. Sorry, hence aforementioned. Was the book that got me back into reading, loved it, and I've read it five or six times. The Heir to the Empire or Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn. Opened my eyes to what Star Wars sequels could have been mm-hmm. and number one again the stand by stephen king i remember picking this up from my school library and was absolutely blown away it also introduced me to who would become my favorite all-time author all right then rena harker aka dan said self-help for the bleak by stand-up comedian rich hall which was surprisingly poignant and for a young teen in and out of therapy helpful and fun mm. a smell for a chameleon by piers anthony number two which got me into fantasy even though the xanth books are now quite cringe and number one, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition Player's Handbook, which spawned my lifelong love of tabletop RPGs. I'm kind of surprised no one's mentioned Dan Brown. <laughs> 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 I said that just a shit on pool! <laughs> 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 <laughs>
you get the whole fucking thing? Insane in the membrane. Insane in his brain. All right, I'll stop it there. Good. <laughs> Chef Ben Randall, patron of the show, said, I'm going to be a bit of a down with this one. I don't think so, actually. Kitchen Confidential from Anthony Bourdain. Oh, yeah. I was already cooking for a living, but when my grandpa gave me this book, I wanted to become a chef. Mm. Number two, Men at Arms from Terry Pratchett. Unleash Pratchett's whimsical fantasy style, some serious biting criticism of our current world. Uh, this is one of the ones including Sam Vimes from the City Watch. Okay. And it's a, as a recovering alcoholic he was and has always resonated with me. Not for nothing, I've said for years that if I wasn't Sam Vines, I wouldn't be. If it wasn't for Sam Vines, I wouldn't be sober today. Wow, it's pretty fucking awesome. And then lastly, St- "Say Grace" by Steve Palmer. This book is part memoir, part instruction manual, part dire warning. Steve is part of a group of, that promotes sobriety in my industry, in the restaurant industry. This book is a hard recommend for anyone struggling to become sober or maintain their sobriety in the hospitality world. All right, very powerful. Deep Thank cuts. you very much for sharing that, Chef Ben. Nick Orton. Then back to fiction with relics from Sean Hudson. I've read this. Once I started reading him, I was hooked. He's not adverse to killing everyone. Absolutely true. No Beast So Fierce by Edward Bunker, a.k.a. Mr. Blue from Reservoir Dogs. Grimy, semi-autobiographical crime novel. His actual autobiography is great too. He's dead. Okay. And Ghost King from David Gemmell. First of his I read and fell in love. Meeting the big man and him telling me I look like Druss. Oh my God. Was the icing on the cake. He has gone on record as saying no one could play Druss back in 1987, 88, whatever it was, than Sean Connery. Really? So I don't so know, Nick, James Bond. Nick, how much you look like James Bond circa that era <laughs> of his life. But uh, that is quite, quite the compliment, sir. Uh, well done to you. Last two to wrap it up then today for this big episode of the show. Connell Tobin McNeil's big question is, does Wayne know how to read? Yes. <laughs> as we found out. And also suck my dick. <laughs> Fair. That's fair. Number three, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, the end monologue six with, my, with me to this day. Number two, Reborn in the USA, an Englishman's love letter to his chosen home by Roger Bennett. Lonely book about what home means to someone and the lessons you take with you as you grow older. And number one, The Alchemist by Paulo Colo. I reread it every few years and inspires me more every time I do. Reminds me of life is supposed to have some bumps and bruises along the way and to take a step back, enjoy the journey and never give up. I think I know of that one. And then lastly, patron extraordinaire, top of the page of the show, Geordie Davidson. Thank you, Geordie, for waiting in. Said Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Great cyberpunk, very fun to read. In a lot of ways, there's a more adult Ready Player One. Oh, I wonder yeah. what it looks like, yeah. The Hobbit, we read this constantly as kids sparked a lifelong level love of fantasy. You'll learn that one. I'll get <laughs> to that one eventually. Thank you so much, everyone. Go back to us. We're sorry, we had such an amazing amount of feedback this week. We could not possibly take about a week. get to it all. Yeah. So we've managed to <laughs> tick that box that says Wayne's annoyed by how long the feedback was went. 40 feedbacks. Go ahead. <laughs> it was 13. 82. Yeah, 82 feedbacks. <laughs> you can choose which one we got closer to. Wayne, how are the good folk get in touch with us or get back to us about the, the show in general? Google the Countdown Podcast. Find our socials. Join up, be cool, or send us a, an email at thecountdownpodcast at gmail.com or you can hit our website, thecountdownpodcast.com. For everything including merch and Patreon linkage and the like. Countdownmerch.com is, is yeah. Oh, you can give this That's link the merch one, but there's a link up yeah, there. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, and likewise, follow us on Podbean where we host the show, the Facebook this community, where all your feedback today you have heard and the uh, email address. Did you say that already? I did. Excellent. Fantastic. Then we are done for today. What's happening next week, Wayne, for episode 449? I do believe we're going to get a little less serious and tell you what the best <laughs> shit to watch on Amazon Prime what? is. Yeah, boy. Yeah. If, you're, if, if you're in Bezos' pocket, 
then well, you... Like, or you're just sick and tired of paying for the ever-increasing prices on Netflix and seemingly Disney+. Plus. Maybe now's, yeah, maybe now's the time to switch to Amazon Prime, which is way more reasonably priced. Last time I looked, anyway, I will need to check my credit Plus card statement. Plus, you get free shipping on a lot of Amazon Free shit, shopping, really ask my wife. That's a big, big... Big plus. Boom. All right, then. That's it for us today. Thank you so much for joining us for this big episode of the Countdown Podcast. My name is Paul. My name is Wayne. And this has been the soundboard. Wayne, whenever the show goes long. What have I done to deserve this bullshit? What have we all done? <laughs> we'll catch you <laughs> next time. See ya. See ya.